0: glad to see that you made it through the rain this morning show up to worship our lord if you'd like to borrow a bible gonna raise your hand the ushers will pass out a bible to you so you can follow along with us in our text this morning and when you're done with it you can just put it back where you're sitting i tell you what if you don't have a bible you can take that one home all right is that a deal if you got like six of those at home bring them back all right Remember that we will be back together at 9.30 next week. So pass the word on, 9.30 next week. Hey, uh, Lord willing, I'm planning on leaving with my son tomorrow to go to Ethiopia to pick up our daughter. And uh, we are, Lord willing, flying out tomorrow. And by God's grace, bring her home. Pray for us because anything and everything has to do with international adoption is always psycho crazy. And so we'll need a lot of prayer in order to God's grace to bring her home. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. We're preaching through the book of Matthew right now, and we're currently in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are in Matthew 5. So let's stand and start reading with verse 33. What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You may be seated. There are a couple of books that have been out for a while, and I'm curious... How many people in here have read either one of them? So if you have read Radical by David Platt or Crazy Love by Francis Chan, can you just show hands here? Yeah, a lot of you have read those books. Now, the idea there is that Christians living radical or crazy lives by uh, going all out in their giving uh, going out all out in evangelism and world missions and serving the poor and justice, making decisions to give up the big paycheck, to try some new entrepreneurial thing, to bring the gospel or to, to bring alleviation to the poor. It's just a lot of, lot of stories in both of the books about living radical and crazy for the Lord. You've read it. And I was reading a post this week, and I've, I've thought about this before. This guy named uh, Sean Groves, he, he said that, that what is talked about is radical or, or crazy in, in both of those books is is actually supposed to be normal for every christian just normal and if you ask francis Chan or david platt they would say the same thing they're not trying to do this two-level christian thing where we have these super hero christians and then we just have this normal christian living right and maybe in your mind, you, you try to compare yourself to others and you go, they're crazy, they're radical for the Lord, but I just can't be that way, or that's just not me, and, or that's just another level of Christianity. And yet, when you, when you read the Bible, it seems that G- Jesus is saying, this is just the way I want you to live if you're going to follow me. Every single person. And what we've been talking about uh, recently is some pretty radical things. Radical to the world, but not radical to the Christian. We've been talking about staying pure. We've been talking about staying married, if you're married. And we've been talking about reconciling where there's anger. And today we're going to kind of push it even further and talk about issues of just just speaking the truth, living a life of self-sacrifice, and loving your enemies and all these things to the world or those who are not following Jesus will be considered radical and crazy. But for the Christian, I'm going to give you this word today, it should be the radical norm. This should be radically normal for every Christian to live as Jesus is calling us to live in his word. Not some tier system here. Everybody, radically normal. This is what Jesus is calling us to. So let's just jump in right away and take it verse by verse, finishing out the section here of these radical norms of living in the kingdom. Look at verse 33. Let's start off with this truth speaking. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Jesus is taking this, this verse here and he's condensing a number of Old Testament verses on oaths to sum up the common teaching of the day. See, in the Old Testament, when someone took an oath, they took an oath to the Lord, and the Lord's saying that they were going to actually perform something. And the common teaching of the religious leaders of the day is they created this detailed oath-taking system. And the reason why they created this system is that they wanted to show that some oaths were not as serious as others. And they had this detailed oath-taking system so they could cover up their lies and their deceit and the things they didn't actually want to follow through on. They said, if you take an oath in the Lord's name, you've got to do it. But if you take an oath in something else, you don't actually have to do it. So they created this cover-up system where normal speech in the streets, in the home, could not be trusted without some special oath. Look at verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, to stop it. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So they thought that if they took an oath in some other name besides God's name, they could wiggle out of falling through on their commitments. But Jesus shows that when you take an oath, no matter what it is, no matter what it's connected with, it all comes back to God. If you see in the verses, he says, he says don't swear by heaven. Why? That's God's footstool. It's not your false claim to authorization. He says, don't swear by earth. I'm sorry, heaven was God's throne and earth is God's footstool. It's not some truth or lie game. He says, don't swear by Jerusalem, for that's the city of the great king. It's not your rightful claim to power. And don't swear by your head because you can't make one hair white or black. That's God's sovereign control. And there's a lot of ways that we grow up as kids where we want to verify and let people know that we're speaking the truth in that instance cross my heart hope to die stick a needle in my eye and then when we get older we say things like we swear to God or we swear on somebody's dead grave and if we're not swearing on something then it can't be trusted and what we're actually trying to do is just cover up lies and Jesus says stop stop it let's speak the truth and look what Jesus says we ought to do verse verse 37 let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. We don't need word drama in our lives. We don't even have to dress up our sentences. We can be simply yes or no, and anything more than this comes from the devil. We follow him as who is true. We, we have the truth dwelling within us, and so we can just speak truth and our word can be trusted because we're not going to walk around with word drama and lying and covering up in deceitful speech. And every time we, we always study this, the question always comes up, can we still take oaths today? So like we, we go before a court system and we've got to raise the right hand, you'll be like, I'm not going to do it. The Bible says not take oaths. Now what, what do you do? What, what's going on here is that Jesus is saying, he's, he's slamming the oath system that was used to cover up deceit. I don't think he's totally going to dismiss all oaths together because later on Jesus is going to testify under oath at his trial and you'll see Paul making a variety of oaths in the New Testament. So I don't think this is banishing all oaths. In fact, when you show up in a court system and you refuse to take an oath, the people are going to think you're you're a liar, that you don't want to tell the truth. So I don't think he's abolishing all oaths. He just wants us to be truth speakers. And it is the radical norm of the kingdom for you to speak the truth. So when someone asks you, hey, do you want to help out at church? Say yes or no, not a 20-minute speech on the rationalization why you can't. Yeah? Just to speak truth. I think the more we talk, the more we get in trouble, right? So just, just say yes or no. Uh, and follow through on your commitments. If you say, I'm going to call you call them. You see someone at church and you say, I'm going to pray for you, pray for them. If you commit that you're going to show up somewhere, show up. If you commit that you're going to give, give. It's the radical norm of kingdom followers of Jesus to speak the truth. No word drama. Let's continue on. Let's move on from truth-telling to self-sacrifice. Look at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, this is Old Testament scripture. These are Old Testament laws that were trying to restrain this excessive retaliation. So if someone in the Old Testament got their tooth knocked out, maybe they clocked someone and they knocked their tooth out, you you don't want to have this retaliation where you're like, okay, now I'm going to cut off your arm. So it's trying to restrain this excessive retaliation. And this payback wasn't supposed to play out personally, where we're going to do this personal vengeance, it was to play out legally in the court of law. And somehow during Jesus' day, it took on a very personal vengeance, personal retaliation, where people were going after one another eye for eye, tooth for tooth, on more of a personal level. And we see it even today. I I saw a story just yesterday, I'm sure it happened within the last two weeks, Uh, maybe you saw it, with regard to the the blizzard. There was um, a, 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 a a guy who noticed that his shovel was missing. Um, you know the story. Apparently, um, a lady entered his yard, took his shovel, and dug out her car. And he knows the shovel's missing, but he's a security firm guy, and so he had his house all jacked up with these these cameras, and so he saw his neighbor taking his his shovel, and she didn't return it. And, and she dug out her car, and so he was mad, and so he got his snowblower out, and blew all the snow back on her car. It's that personal revenge, retaliation, just, uh, just kind of just going back. And it took her, apparently, she came back to dig out her car without a shovel. It took her four hours to get it out with a broom. I don't know, digging out with a broom. And so I, he, he's, and, and the reporter reporting on this, the story said, eye for eye. Like even in our culture, understands the language, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, payback. But Jesus is saying, no, no not you, not you. You're going to live self-sacrificially. And, and what he says right here is radical norms of the kingdom. And I know if you're in ethos community this week, these are going to be the most debated verses among you. But he's pushing you to radical norms. Look at each verse. Look at verse 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Hey, I don't think this is talking about, like, domestic abuse. I don't think this is talking about, like, bullies on the playground. I think this is talking about personal insults. And that's what a a slap would be. It would be the slap of of an insult. And and the response to a slap of insult back in the day as it is today is, no, you didn't. You didn't just hit me. You didn't just say that to me because I'm about to come back after you. You slap me, I'm going to slap you back. You cuss me, I'm going to cuss you back. And Jesus says, uh-uh. But if anyone slaps you, turn to them the other cheek. Someone insults you, let them insult you some more. And you're like, what good's that going to do? Come on, Jesus, what good's that going to do? Here's, here's four things to think about if you're trying to think about what, what good is that going to do. One, it, it deals with your heart. See, we're trying to break out of these cycles of retaliation. And so when someone goes after you and you don't go back after them, but you put yourself in a vulnerable position, that changes your heart. Two, you may find that your non-retaliation actually changes them. Think about Dr. Martin Luther King. Think about his non-physical uh, retaliation. And it, it wasn't just he just sat by and did nothing. No, he, 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 he had this response Of non-retaliation and watch things change and third you want to leave room for the wrath of God let me read this uh, from Romans 12 verse 17 and 20 says repay no one evil for evil beloved never avenge yourselves believe it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord We don't want to fight back. Leave them in God's hands. And the fourth thing to think about of why we want to turn the other cheek is that it's an imitation of Christ. Jesus did not fight back when he was tortured on the way to the cross. Isaiah 50, verse 6, Jesus says here about Christ, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And the world would say, crazy, radical. And for the Christian, we should say, no, that's normal. That's the radical norm of the kingdom. Someone goes after you, you don't go back after them. It gets even more radically normal. Keep going. Verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So if someone took you to court, sued you back in the day and won a settlement for your tunic, which was basically your clothes, then go ahead and take off your cloak, which was your coat that was valuable, and let him have that as well. Did you know the court system back then could not require a permanent relinquishment of the cloak? They could do it temporarily but not overnight because back then your cloak is like your, your sleeping bag, especially for the poor it's so valuable for everyone to have this outer cloak. But Jesus is saying, no, someone sues you. You Just give them your clothes. That's the settlement. But go ahead and give them your coat as well. And so right there, you're standing before the court naked. Like, why would you want to do that? It's just showing that you're going above and beyond to be reconciled with this person who is coming after you. And the close is what the duty is, but you're going to go beyond the duty and you're going to try to bring reconciliation with this person who is coming after you because you are following the radical norms of our Lord. Look at verse 41. He keeps pushing and pushing. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I I like this one. I like this one because apparently during that time, You know, the Romans were occupying the land of Israel, the Jews, and the Romans could come up and they could force someone into labor for at least a mile. Like if they want to force you into carrying their stuff. You can think about Simon of Cyrene as Jesus is heading toward his cross. He was forced into labor to carry the cross, right? And Jews hated this because they hated the Romans. They're being forced by their enemy to carry something for a mile it it's part of the law. They hate it, though. So Jesus says when you get forced to go one mile by your hated enemies, go another one. Don't just go one. Go two. And as you'll find as you're going two that your heart is starting to shift toward your enemies. That, that's some serious love. Like, if, if you are in a work situation when your boss is just whatever he is or whatever she is, pushing you, pushing you, pushing you, you say, okay, I'm going to do what is required and then I'm going to go beyond. Not because I'm trying to win man's approval, I just want my heart changed towards that person. So I'm going to go beyond. If you are a child in here and your parents, you're being forced into obedience by your parents, go beyond and as you go beyond you will find your heart changing toward those who you're forced to obey he's giving us these things that we can walk in to change our hearts and walk in these radical norms look at verse 42 give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you Does this one cause you the most trouble basically says if someone wants to borrow from you or if someone begs money from you, give it to them. Now, if you, as you're in your ethos, don't get stuck in like a 30, 45-minute conversation on what to do when you're on the street and people ask you for money. Don't get stuck with that conversation because you'll miss the point of the context. I mean, for real. If you have no problem turning the other cheek no problem being totally naked giving all your stuff to make amends if you have no problem going the extra mile what's the big deal about giving a quarter to someone who begs you? you? are you tracking here? it's like look at how he's compiling here and I know that there there is some exceptions to this begging because Paul is going to say later on, if you don't work, you don't eat. I understand that. And later on, Jesus is going to call for judgment and discernment. Don't throw your pearls to pigs, you know. Remember those verses? I, and I get that, I get that. But on a whole, he, he is calling for massive generosity massive generosity that is to be normal we're not supposed to say they're such great givers they're radical crazy givers no that's normal those who are in need those who who, who are, are saying please would you help me with with discernment of course but move toward them and it's the radical norm not just for superhero christian every christian so jesus keeps pushing he keeps pushing and if you think, well, I can't, I can't give like that. I think we had to keep turning our eyes back to Christ. We were begging in our sin. We were poor. And he became poor so that we may become rich in him. He's not calling us to do anything that he's not done. He's not calling us to do anything he has not empowered us to do. He's not calling anything that the gospel is not sufficient for our need. The radical norms. Radical norms. Let's, let's keep pressing. Let's keep pressing. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, Old Testament doesn't say that. The Old Testament says, love your neighbor. And the leaders of the day had this, I guess an extended version of the Old Testament says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. It's not the teaching of the Old Testament. And the teaching of these leaders of the day stirred up people to get in this vicious cycle of hate where it was proper for them to hate the Romans or the Samaritans or the Gentiles, who, whoever was not like them or they didn't get along with, then it was okay for them to hate their enemies. And they were kind of spiraling out of control like many of you may be right now, dealing with those who are against you. You think it's proper to hate them. Look what Jesus says in verse 44. But I say to you, hmm, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you and this is a consistent message is it not is it not a consistent message remember when jesus was once asked uh, by this uh, leader like who is my neighbor and then he went to this cool story about the the good samaritan remember that story and so he's basically saying your neighbor includes your enemy and your enemy your neighbor enemy is supposed to be loved And you're supposed to move toward them, not with hostility and retaliation, but you're supposed to move toward them with love. And this can play out in in many ways. Once again, I was reading another story today. Just another story where they were talking about eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Again, I don't know why the media picks up on this, but apparently there is a, 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 a guy whose dad was murdered, execution style, when he was a child, and now he's older. And his dad's executioner is about to be killed by the government. And I'm not getting into all the legality here, but, but that, that kid who's now an adult is appealing to the parole board for, for, for mercy, for his dad's killer, for it to be life in, in jail rather than execution, rather than, rather than uh, death. And I just think, wow. I, I don't know all his background, where he's coming from, but can you imagine moving toward Uh, an enemy who killed somebody you love and that's the the radical norm that that jesus is calling for for us to love our enemies and pray for them if you have problem with people the number one way to deal with that problem is to pray for them no matter who they are no matter what the situation is they can be real enemies that you actually know or perceived enemies that you have set up in your mind Uh, sometimes you can have perceived enemies with regard politically. Like if you some people politically just set you off, I, I do wonder, do you pray for them or do you criticize them more? If people, world leaders, set you off in such hatred, if certain religions set you off with such hatred, have you thought about, you know what, I should spend more time praying and less time thinking about how to attack? Because when we move out with prayer, you see our heart starts to change. We get more of, of, of God's view. And, and understand this loving our enemies comes in the context of persecution. You see that there? But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And could you, most of you are not into persecution, okay? But could you pray for someone who is harming you for your faith? Think about what Jesus said when he was on the cross as he was praying for his enemies in Luke 23 34 and Jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do that's a radical kingdom norm right there he's calling us to walk in he's not calling us to do anything that he hasn't already done so why what's the character here Where, where's this supposed to come from look at verse 45 So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So this is good. So he's not just saying love your enemies because you're a good person. No, you need to love your enemies because you've been changed from the inside out and you are now able to imitate your Father. And let's think about what our Father did. On this past Friday night, so much evil happened in the city of Chicago so much immorality murder and greed happened in one night on Friday and then on Saturday morning the Sun came up not just on Christians but on everybody the father did that and then last night wow we had a duplicate night of the one before They enjoyed the sun during the day, and then at night, there was partying, 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 drunkenness, drug use, slander, more murder, more immorality, and then we woke up this morning, and the Father sent rain. Not just on the Christians, but on everybody. That's the way the Father treats his creation and you kind of go well why would he do that why doesn't he send lightning on the evil burst of sun that scorch the evil and why does he why does he bless them with the sun and with the rain well you know what they're made in his image they're valuable to him and the bible says he desires that they would be saved if that is how god treats his enemies and he's actually perfectly holy We're not even perfectly holy. How much more should we imitate our Father toward those who are against us? Jesus pushes it further, verse 46 and 47. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? (laughs) He's calling us to keep going, go further, go beyond. The the tax collectors and the Gentiles, they throw parties. And, you know, people like the party not alone, but with other people like them and that they like. And so they greet and they party with their own. That's the way the pagans can do it. Why should we say, no, but we're just going to hang out with our own. We're just going to love our own. Jesus is calling us beyond. He's calling us to a radical norm where we are set apart, where we will love and engage not only our friends and family, but also our enemies. And where this all plays out is in our relationships with other people. It plays out in our relationships with difficult people. I don't know if you have any difficult people in your life, But the tendency is to run away from these difficult people. Yeah? That's the tendency. I want to get away from difficult people. And yet God has brought them into your life. And I believe that they are there for you to engage and to love. And God actually has a plan for your relationship with them. Let me show you this quote from Michael Wilkins I found. I found this to be very helpful about love he says I define love as an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person in which I give myself to bring the relationship to God's intended purpose so if God has brought a difficult person into my life well one of the reasons is he has a purpose for that relationship I don't understand all that it is even if they're enemy God has a purpose and so he, he tacks on this very helpful question. Here's the question. What does God want for this relationship? And how can I best give myself to bring it about? So you have that difficult person in your mind. You know who they are. Ask yourself the question. Okay, what does God want me to do to bring that relationship to his intended purpose? It's not up to you to bring it there, but it's up to you to say, God, use me however you want to love this person, even my enemy, to bring about your intended purpose, whatever that is. So rather than dismiss difficult people and keep them at arm's length, which is a natural thing to do, which the world does, do the radically normal thing of the Christian and welcome them in and engage them with love. It's not easy, but it is the radical norm of those who are in the kingdom. And then we finish up With verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the last sentence of this. Long section of chapter 5 that was dealing with, if you you just recap there, you see the reconciliation, the purity, peace, the faithfulness in marriage, the truth-telling, the self-sacrifice, loving our enemies. And through all this, Jesus is giving the true intent of God's law, which reflects the heart and character of God. And so the call of verse 48 is for you to reflect the heart and character of God. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. And I believe this is the same as the calls that you'll find throughout the Bible. uh, Be holy as God is holy. I I, I mean, how am I supposed to think about this? This perfection. If you think about God's holy standard, you think about who he is in his character, you think there's no way that I match up to that. And that brings you back to the very, very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. We mourn over our sin. We mourn over how we do not measure up to holy God. We are sinful, and then we cry out for the righteousness of Christ. Yes, his perfection. We we repent of our sin, put our faith in Christ, we're clothed in his righteousness, we're accepted in his perfection by our Father this plays itself out in action and I think that's what Jesus is talking about right here he's talking about that exceeding righteousness that we are to have this aim where we walk to be perfect as our father is perfect and when we fail we repent we press on to the perfection of our father and it will never be achieved in this life but is it a pressing on to be holy as he is holy, to reflect his character? It's not comparing ourselves with other, but looking at the heart and character of God. So I want to give you a little phrase I think is going to be helpful for you to, to kind of sum up a, a way to put this verse in your mind. It's a phrase, once again, by Michael Wilkins. Let me put it up for you. It's the phrase, restful dissatisfaction. Just, just think about that for a little bit. Restful dissatisfaction. So we are supposed to rest in our salvation found in Jesus. Yes, we're we're resting in his finished work for us. We're accepted by the Father. We rest in the fact that he has done good things in our life. He's molding our character, but we're also dissatisfied. We want to grow. We see deficiencies in our life. We see come some of these cycles of sin that we get into, some of these cycles of impurity, cycles of anger. We don't want to live in those cycles, and so we're dissatisfied. So we rest in the finished work, and we press on in this perfection, in this dissatisfaction, and we see more and more of the character of Christ formed in us, and then we start to walk in the radical kingdom norms. And it's for everybody. There is no category of super Christian. If you're in a spot right now and you say, I wish I could be like so-and-so, but I never will because I don't have a certain gifting or ability, scrap that. Scrap that. I believe every single Christian in here can be radical for the Lord, can be crazy for the Lord, because that is the norm. And you go, but yeah, but I just can't. Do that. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have any enemies? Do you have people that are difficult in your life? You can move toward them. That's radically normal. You have situations where you need to tell the truth? Tell the truth. That's radically normal. You have situations where you have to be uh, sacrificially, you have to be like sacrifice, maybe money, maybe your time, you have to do this self-sacrifice, go ahead and do it. That's radically normal. Really, there's only been one radical person who's ever walked this earth, and that's Jesus. And he did the radical thing, yes? He expressed crazy love and laying his life down on the cross for us. Now, as we are caught up in him, forgiven in him, and we are in Christ, he is in us. It is the norm for his followers to follow in his footsteps by his grace, by his power, by his spirit. And as in a moment here we have the Lord's Supper, we take communion, we look at the most radical event ever on the cross, Jesus in his powerful resurrection. We want to reflect on how much he has loved us with abundant love, crazy love. And as we are changed, we want to repent of these cycles that we're in, these cycles of sin, and move more and more into his grace, his love and forgiveness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you care for us and as you call us to to the world it seems like impossible standards, impossible ideals. We know that we have no ability to live this, this way unless you are empowering us by your Spirit. And we also know that we fall short and we look to Christ who is the standard and the sufficiency in our righteousness that we are clothed in. And Lord, I just pray for those in here who are in a cycle of hating difficult people who are got a system of retaliation, who are not speaking the truth who are talking about giving up on relationships, who are living in impure relationships, who are really angry and not reconciled, I ask that they would see at the cross today these vicious cycles of sin can and must be broken. May they not take communion right now going through the motions. May this not be a religious service event where they just go unthoughtfully I just ask that they would right now, by the conviction of your spirit, bring them to repentance of these cycles and that they would find grace and forgiveness in Jesus. Do a work in us, Lord. Do a work in us right now that's deep in the radical love of you and empower us to walk in these radical norms. In Christ's name, amen.